I need to know everything Who in the what and the where I need everything Trust me, I hear what you're saying But I like it's new what you're telling me I'm curious, George, I hop in the Porsche There's five and a horse, I'm ready for war I'm coming for throws to turn to a ghost I need to know everything Now you be surprised at the info you get Is by letting them talk, so I'm letting them talk Gotta keep quiet, maneuver in science to Hello let them and welcome to JK Plus One I am not your host, PTF I don't know what PTF is up to. He's been uh, running around here, you know, talking about this, talking about that. You know, he's correcting my grammar. He's texting me, saying uh, all kinds of crazy things. Um, I'm just kidding. None of that's happening at all. I couldn't think of anything more clever to say when I was going to make my normal PTF rant. Um, but I am your host, Jonathan Kinchin, and I am excited about this episode for a couple of reasons. This is the first time I'm going to be doing an announcement on an episode, but I'm also happy to uh, finally sit down with uh, someone that I've been excited about talking to for a long time. So, don't you hate when people always say you want the good news or the bad news first? I'm going to ask you which one do you want first? You want the announcement or who it's going to be? I guess I should do the uh, who it's going to be first, right? Because it wouldn't make sense if I did it the other way. Well, today on the show, we're going to have Billy Koch of Little Red Feather. We're going to talk about uh, uh, the, the experience that they have at Little Red Feather. We're going to talk about the horses. We're going to talk about uh, his history in Hollywood with his family. It's, it's really a cool episode. It's fun. We, we, uh, Dallas, Texas is, a, is an important part of both of our lives in a couple of different ways. But the other part of why it was timely to have Billy on at this time was to announce that uh, the podcast formerly known as The Horse Ownership Experience with Billy Koch and Michelle Yu is moving to the In The Money Media Network. And it is, uh, it's it's going to change names. It's going to be called The Owner's Box now. And we're really excited about the logo, mostly. No, the logo's great. You'll, you'll enjoy the logo. But uh, we're really excited to have them on. I, I listened to uh, a handful of the episodes from their previous show. Um, they had people like Saul Kuman on. Uh, they had Rob Masiello. Um, the list goes on and on and on of the types of owners that they've had on. Maggie Moss. Um, I can keep going through this. Josh Stevens, a bloodstock agent that was involved with, with By My Standards and Mr. Money. We've talked about on these airwaves before. And just uh, the idea, and I'll let Billy explain it a little bit more in the show, but the idea is to bring people into the ownership experience. A lot of the trainers, the riders, uh, get a lot of attention in the sport, and, and rightfully so. But there's also a side of it I think is really interesting when it comes to the ownership. The stories of these owners who put up their money. Uh, who race these horses, and um, it's a side of the game that, that I think needs to be uh, uh, explored. And so we're, we're looking forward to that. It's going to be a great addition to the team. Um, Billy and Michelle do a phenomenal job, and, and we're glad to have them on board. So um, I, I don't really know what else to say. Make sure you're subscribed. If you're new because you, you've kind of followed Billy and, you, and you're not familiar with what we do in the money media um, we, we have a bunch of different podcasts, uh, in the money You can see them all there. This is just one of them. JK plus one. We've got a handful of others. Make sure you subscribe on the little purple. Uh, if you have an iPhone, the little purple app, if you don't have an iPhone and you're green texting, please stop doing that. It's, uh, it's disturbing and, uh, and, and enjoy some of the stuff we have to offer. So I will stop rambling and we will get to the, uh, head honcho at little red feather. 
my friend, Billy Koch. Always good to be here, Jake. Hey, I appreciate it. I, I love the show and uh, glad we can be a part of it. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's be a part of this show is, is one thing, but uh, I'm excited that uh, we have an opportunity to uh, this is a great time for us to announce that uh, you and Michelle, you have been working on a podcast called The Owner's Experience for for quite some time. I loved your episode you, you did with Saul. I, I heard that one uh, recently and it was uh, that was a lot of fun. And and we've been talking about uh, you guys kind of joining the team over here at In The Money. And it's it sounds like that is going to happen going to change the name a little bit i think you guys were looking for a little rebrand opportunity we're going to call it the owner's box the logo is in the design uh queue as we speak and uh we're really excited to have you you guys join the network tell us a little bit about the show and, and kind of what the goal of the show is well first of all thank you and and thank pete for uh for actually bringing us over it's really exciting uh michelle and i about i think it's over five years ago now uh wanted to have a voice for the owner. Um, it all started when back in the day when they would say, this is uh, Bob Baffert's uh, life is good. And I would say, wait a second, like it's owned by there's owners. Like who, where are these people? And, and a lot of times what I noticed in horse racing, and I obviously like you have been in this game for a long, long time is that um, the owners never had a voice. And I wanted to do a show where we just focused on the owners and their stories and how they got into the game and what they've learned. And not only as an avenue to allow owners to tell their stories, but also for other people trying to get into the game. Uh, that was always my number one goal in horse racing was, because I love the sport so much. I wanted to share it with others. That's why I started Little Red Feather. Um, I just, I wanted people to experience the same thing that I had experienced and, 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 the, and try to fall in love in the game the same way I did. So, um, it's been, it's been an unbelievable run. Uh, we have this kind of cult following. It was, uh, um, we've had so many great owners. You mentioned Saul. I mean, we've had Garrett O'Rourke from Judmont. We've had Maggie Moss. We've had, I mean, you go down the list, we've had so many owners join us just to tell their stories. And, and I think Jonathan, it's interesting that they, they appreciate it. Um, they come on and they're, they're so shocked that someone actually wants to talk to them. Whereas I'm just the opposite. I'm like, you, sh you shouldn't be shocked. These, these are your horses and these are your stories and these are your, this is your experience. So we have been, uh, Michelle and I both were big fans of in the money. We've seen what you guys have be able to, been able to create with your network. And we thought, man, this would be a great kind of match because I think it was time for our show to, as you say, uh, almost rebrand and um, bring the same kind of entertainment and excitement and experience with these owners and, and bring it to a platform. You guys do such a great job of, of marketing and, and getting these shows out there. And we thought that this would be a really nice kind of marriage. And so far, uh, we're, we're, it's been great. We're excited. We've been working on the logo. You guys will be excited to see it out there, I'm sure. Um, and, uh, I can tell you from Michelle and, and, and me, it's, it's really, really excited to have this kind of platform and to continue doing what we're doing. And, and we're going to, we're going to go after all the, all the biggest owners and, and have them tell their stories. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, you know, one of the things I'm excited about having you on the show is, is I'm going to kind of, kind of steal a page from your playbook and talk to you about your experience in this game, because it's funny. And I don't know if we've had this conversation before, but you know, I grew up in the Dallas Fort Worth area and, um, you know, I have not been in this game as long as you have. I, I started kind of getting interested when I was about, 
you know, 13. My dad used to like to go to, uh, to, to Lone Star. In fact, when I first started going, I didn't really even like it. I just kind of thought it was an annoying thing I had to do <laughs> rather than being at home playing Madden. And I started to fall in love with it. You know, I started to print out some stuff. I started to get some highlighters and it reminds me every time I see your silks and I hear the name Singletary, it reminds me that my first Breeders' Cup I ever went to was in 2004 at Lone Star Park. We bought the tickets on eBay for like 40 bucks. And myself, my dad and I, we went and we sat in this. They had a chalet that year that was like at the half mile pole. So if you're not familiar with the yeah. game, um, as I, I know you know where the half mile pole is. That's when you start rooting for your horses that you own. But the half mile pole is like kind of where they start to go into the turn on the backside. Um, and into the final turn on the backside. So we were in that chalet there. And I remember I did not hit a race the entire day. And that includes Ghost Zapper, right? Like of all the horses that ran <laughs> on that day. Ghost Zapper. Because I didn't, I was, I was that's, <laughs> I was just figuring out what the heck I right. was doing. Right. Well, hey, wait, you should stop there really quick because one of the things that's amazing that you don't see that much anymore, and it was based on the configuration of Lone Star, what you're talking about, they had these amazing grandstands, like all, all the way almost around the track. So it was it was a really, really cool event. I don't know if they'll ever go back to Lone Star, but it was, it was of all the Breeders' Cups I've been to, and obviously I'm biased, but it was really, really cool the way they had it all laid out. So I think that's... Where, where did you guys sit? Did you guys sit in the main grandstand? We were, um, well, we were in this, I, I don't know. I think we were to the right of the grandstand. We probably in the main, but we were on that balcony and that's what the, that, that we almost took down the balcony during the running of the race. There were so many of us jumping up and down that the balcony was going up and down and people to this day come up and say, I, I thought you guys were taking it down. Um, so we had, I think we had like box seats and then we had this, you know, in this, this place over to the, just past the finish line. Uh, that was, and it was all really nice, like uh, surprisingly nice. I mean, I, yeah, Lowe's is a cool facility. It's really, it's actually a really nice facility the yeah. way that it's all kind of laid out. Um, it's not, it's not that old, you know, unfortunately Texas has its struggles with, with racing and it, it, it's so the, the quality day in and day out can sometimes, uh, be a little bit of an obstacle, but, um, I think, you know, I think they do a pretty good job when, when it came to Singletary, um, the first thing I wanted to, ask, I mean, obviously I want to hear the story of the horse from start to finish, but did you, were you hopeful on the day that he was going to win at 16 to one, or did you feel very confident and your bankroll, uh, shows that? Um, I think we were hopeful, uh, and to be perfectly frank, we were just happy to be there. Um, you know, we got there early in the week. We had this Sony video camera that I had that we started videotaping everything and we were out on the turf course and we were going to the tack room and Don Chatlos was our trainer at the time and and it was me and, and Gary and Don and a couple other of my friends. Chio was there. We, we, we just had a blast. We went to every event. We really soaked in the experience and that was the most important thing. And you know, I, listen, we wouldn't have run there if we didn't think we had a chance. But the the re, the the real truth, when I got excited, it was the day it was the morning before. And we went to the backside and I was standing up on they had this the stand over there where you kind of watch the works and they were waiting for the turf horses to come out on the track. And it was Singletary. Uh, David Mia was on Singletary, the exercise rider, who's now a bloodstock agent married to Anna. Uh, Kitten's Joy, 
who was the favorite in the turf, and Ouija board, who was the favorite in and ended up winning the uh, Philly Mare turf. And they were walking in a circle. And I was standing next to Dale Romans, who I really didn't know. Now, this is 2004. I mean, this is was 17 years ago. And Dale, you know, he's like, is that your horse? He pointed to Singletary. I said, yeah, that's, you know, that's Singletary. And um, he says to me, I have to tell you something. I said, what? He goes, man, your horse looks awesome. And I'm like, kind of like, you know, I'm looking around. You can't see my eyes right now, but I'm kind of like, really? He's like, yeah, he looks, I mean, awesome. I was like, okay, cool. Well, thank you. Thanks, Dale. You know, because he was, you know, very well respected. I'm this kid who just kind of grew up in the game. This is our, you know, Singletary was the second horse we ever bought in Little Red Feather back in 2002. And so at that point, it kind of, the realism of the moment hit, hit me and it was like, wow, maybe, maybe we do have a shot here. And that was, that was the moment. And and we had so much fun that those tapes, JK, I don't know if you ever saw it, but TVG, I, afterwards I said, uh, t- whoever was at TVG at the time came up and said, Hey, I saw you guys filming. Do you want to want to do something? Do you want to make like a little, you know, a little video? And we said, sure. And I turned over probably, you know, 15 hours of, of footage and TVG put together this 15 minute Singletary video that I can't find. I'm a little sad. I keep asking TVG for it. I'm sure they have it in the archive somewhere, but it was amazing. They ran it on TVG probably for a year. Like it was on, you know, Tuesday nights. Every Tuesday night was the Singletary 15 minute video of us and just acting like idiots at Lone Star Park. And uh, the whole, the whole experience was, I mean, it was surreal to be honest with you. And it's, it's, we, when you when you have success that early on, um, you kind of expect that success. And what I talk about on my podcast all the time is just how hard this game is and how hard it is to find that next horse, uh, that next superstar. And and it's and all the owners who come on my show say it. I mean, this is this is not an easy game. That was an incredible moment, one that will I will cherish and one that my partners will cherish. And I owe Singletary a lot because uh, he really put Little Red Feather on the map. Now, obviously, the Breeders' Cup mile was was the was the kind of the, the the highlight of his career. But looking at his lifetime past performances as a person who loves Santa Anita and absolutely adores the downhill turf course, I have to imagine that when he broke his maiden first time out down the hill, that was a special moment for you as well, being a California kid. Uh, it was amazing, except that I wasn't there. True Ooh. story. Um, we decided to run him down the hill. We were thirty to one. And Don, uh, Don, you know, Don and I were talking and we put him in the race and, and I said, Don, I, I can't be there. And, and I, I, I think Don was like, you know, if you know anything about Don Chadlos, he's very confident. And, uh, he was like, well, you're, you know, you're going to miss the win. And I was like, Don, we're 30 to one. Like, <laughs> we have no, like, do we really have a shot in here? And he just, he ran so good that day. And I remember, I got, I can't remember the name of the horse he lost to. You probably have the PPs up in front of you. I mean, in the second Oh, oh yeah. I just have the who won. I just had the yeah. Um, and and it was a big favorite that you just ran by, and it was just it was unbelievable. I wasn't there, and back then, you know, we didn't have there was no TVG or anything in 2004. I don't think we or I don't even think I watched the race until afterwards. I got a replay somewhere. Um, so but it was it was unbelievable, and yes, um, having him at Santa Anita, which is you know Santa Anita and Del Mar, and and back then J.K. Hollywood Park. I mean, I was a big Hollywood Park guy. 
So yeah, I've seen, I, I read, you know, you, you've been going since you were a kid and I, I want, I was curious, like, what was your home track of the three? Like, what was your, which one did you go to the most before you were 15 years old? Oh, definitely Hollywood park. My grandfather was on the board of directors and, and, you know, I grew up with Marge Everett and D Hubbard and that whole crew and going in and my grandfather, when I was a kid, used to pick me up from school and we'd always go to Taco Bell and get tacos on the way out. And then we'd go watch the races from the backstretch. My grandfather loved kind of being back there and standing up um, next to the kitchen and watching the, and he would talk to the jockeys as they went in the starting gate. And those are some of my best memories. And the first Breeders' Cup at Hollywood Park in 1984, uh, we had this great box and it was next to all these old timers, Eddie Nahum and all these guys who were, who were out at the track all the time. And it was one of those things that like you went, you know, you went to the track every Saturday and Sunday. I mean, that's what you did. That was our church. Uh, we, we'd go out and we knew everybody and my grandfather would give my sister and I, he'd give us, uh, each, I think, I think we started with 10 bucks. You'd get 10 bucks. And my sister, you know, would be really, really, uh, cautious with her money. And of course I would bet all $10 on the first race. And if I lost, I'd go right back to my grandfather and just go, Hey man, can I get another 10 bucks? <laughs> you know? And, and you know, my sister was awesome. Like at the end of the day, if she had $13, she'd give my grandfather 10 back and keep three, you know, and I was always busted. It didn't matter. Cause if I had $20, I was betting all 20 on the last race. So, um, it was really fun growing up and doing that. And I was, I was extremely fortunate. I was blessed. I mean, my grandfather was really involved and owned horses. So I got a taste at a really young age, you know, uh, going back to Telly's pop in 1975 with Mel Studi and my grandfather owned the horse with Telly Savalas, who was Kojak. And those of you who are listening probably have, some of you have no idea who Kojak was, but he was, he was big. Um, and so I really had a, um, I had a historical perspective from an owner's standpoint of what it was like. Now, don't get me wrong. I knew nothing. No, going back in time, um, even to Singletary in 2004, and I tell people this all the time, I, I learned so much from then, from then to now that it's, I, and, I, and I continue learning. I'm continuing to learn every single day. I learn something new about the horse or about, uh, you know, the, the sheets or about handicapping from you. I mean, I can't tell you, I, I listened to your podcast with Marshall Graham and I, I've listened to it twice, I think, just trying to trying to become a better player. So I think um, but I, I was really blessed. I had uh, amazing experiences growing up and, and I think Hollywood Park would be considered my home track. So I'm sad it's not there anymore. But I love Santa Anita. And and I especially love Del Mar. My summers at Del Mar, I mean, I I don't. You and I, you, we sit in the same spot up on the uh, veranda, and I don't think there's a better place to uh, to hang out and watch races than that spot. Man, it's it's uh, it's the best view. It's the best spot in racing that doesn't have a view. Correct. Right? There's some other spots that have like racetrack views that you can argue, oh, that's a better spot. But of all the spots that don't have a view, it's hard to beat that one. No question. Uh, in fact, I very rarely watch live races down there, which is people just blown away. Like, you don't go outside and watch a race. I'm like, nah, I can see right here. I got my TV and, you know, we have all our clients around and, and all our friends. And it's just it, the atmosphere is there's nothing else like it. There's there's no you, place like it. You got to Yeah. And there's not too many Roy's in the world either. So no, Roy is the man. Roy is the man. <laughs> <laughs> he cracks me up. He's the best. I remember one time we, we, uh, we had a tab. I don't remember how much it was, but we, we tipped him like a hundred dollars and, and it, it was an acceptable tip, right? It was not an unacceptable tip. Sure. 
And he was just like, uh, yeah, you know, I just don't think this is enough. <laughs> no, no, they're brash. They'll tell you. He'll tell you. <laughs> yeah, he'll let Man. you know for sure. Absolutely. He'll let you know for sure. What, yeah. At what point did Del Mar become a routine for you? Like at what age did, was that like an every summer thing for you? I think once, probably 22. So I'm, oh, well, she's, I'm 51 now. So almost 30 years ago. Um, you know, after I was out of school and was working, uh, you know, I just made sure that I went down to Del Mar, you know, on the weekends. Uh, and then once I started the business and it was imperative for me to be down there, it just became a, a summer thing. I mean, we've been going down there, like I said, probably almost 30 years now sitting on the veranda. Um, you know, there's, there's, you know, we've known all those people for that long and it's, it's, it's really funny because it's almost like a, a family reunion every year when you get down there and you know, all the people, whether it's Ricardo or Roy or Ashley or, um, you know, and, and the people at Del Mar are great. They treat us great. And I'm sure they treat you guys great because we put a lot into the game. We own horses, we bet on horses, we buy a lot of drinks. We, you know, it's, it's, and, and, and I give credit to the people at Del Mar. They, they treat us really well and they make us feel like we're at home. And that's why last year was so weird. Um, you know, not being able to kind of go up there and just watching the races from the boxes and then going back to your, you know, condo was, it was kind of odd, but I, we can talk about the pandemic the, another time. I don't think anybody wants to hear us talk about that. <laughs> now I will say this, the only negative about Del Mar which I'm sure some people would say the only negative about Saratoga is, is that you can't be at the other place. If you're at Del Mar, it's impossible on the day, pretty close to impossible to be at Saratoga as well. Do you ever get to Saratoga or is it just not, just doesn't work itself out? I have a crazy Saratoga story. I've only been there one time and I've only seen one race. Um, we were lucky enough um, back in the early days of Little Red Feather, we, we bought a horse named Guts Game. She was a filly and we named her Guts Game because we were good friends at the time with uh, uh, Jesse Itzler and uh, he brought in uh, LeBron James and a whole just a whole slew of celebrities and they all wanted to buy a horse and they played this. Yeah, have you ever played Guts Game? The poker like, the you know, where you play Guts? I've uh, heard of it. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure I've played it at yeah. some point, but I can't. Remember so the they wanted to name this filly Guts Game. We bought the filly. We named her and she was running in New York. And I got a call from Jesse and he said, hey, um, are you in San Diego at Del Mar? And I said, sure. Yeah, of course. He goes, well, um, we want to fly to go see the Philly run at Saratoga. She was going to run for Saratoga. David Duggan was training her. And so he picked us up, private plane, and he didn't tell us anything. We stopped in Cleveland and we picked up LeBron James and his family. It's a true story. LeBron, we switched planes, get on another plane, fly to Saratoga. It's uh, me and and. Gary and I think that was it from Little Red Feather, and then Jesse and a bunch of his buddies, and and LeBron and his family. Bronny, who's you know this big basketball player now, he was like you know two, maybe younger. Um, and uh, we get there and we're late, so we we have this crazy driver from the airport to Saratoga driving his fat. We're telling him you have to get there. We have, you know, 10 minutes to get there and he's flying. He parks right outside Saratoga. We grab everybody. Bronny is on my shoulders and I'm sprinting in. I have no idea where I'm going because I've never been there before, but I'm just going in and we get there right in time for the race. The Philly has the lead in the stretch. Needless to say, the story isn't great because she faded to, I think she ran fourth that day. Um, and, uh, went back to see her afterwards in the days where you could actually go see her horse, no pandemic. Uh, and, uh, and, and that was it. 
that was my Saratoga experience. It was, I haven't been back since because I'm, I don't want to leave Del Mar. It's exactly what you said. I just, I, I can't, you know, we've had horses run there. We have a nice little string in New York with uh, Michelle Nevin, who's the best. And, uh, I just can't get away from Del Mar. I just, I feel like I'm, it's almost like I feel like I'm cheating. You know, it's like, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to leave you Del Mar. So, um, <laughs> that was my one Saratoga experience and I'm sure I'll get back there. I want to do more on the East coast. Um, start, I'm, uh, we're really going to try to, uh, take the brand back, back East. Um, especially this year in 2021, we have a yearling with Brad Cox. We have horses with Michelle. We're doing a, a fund, uh, it kind of Midwest and East coast that we're putting together right now, kind of a private purchase type fund. So it'll be, it'll be a lot of fun and, and we want to get back there. Golly, that's I. I have a mine's not nearly as exciting, but I did do, I did do a, uh, I did do a, uh, the first year I was doing the Fox Show. Uh, I told uh, Tony Alavato, you know, our our boss, I said, hey, I, I want to play in this Del Mar contest, and so they gave me that weekend off, and so I was gonna, and I had my son with me, so we were gonna fly, we were gonna fly from New York to Del Mar, play in the contest. I was gonna drop him off back in Texas, and then I was gonna come back on Monday or Tuesday and be back for the next week. Well. It was last summer where they we had a bunch of cancellations, so we they canceled on Friday. So I actually got to leave early. So we took an Uber from Saratoga to JFK. My son and I did three and a half hours, yeah. like three hundred bucks. Then we got on a red eye, flew to <laughs> flew to Del Mar, and I it's a two day contest, and I busted out on the first day. There you go, perfect. <laughs> but uh, Austin, we had fun. He had a, he had yeah. a good time. So. I have but to I, say, that, at least I got to go to both. You know? Yeah, no, I hear you. And I have to say, just going back to that story, LeBron was an amazing person. He couldn't have been nicer. I mean, this and this is years ago. Um, so I just have to give him credit. He was he couldn't have been cooler. And um, I don't Did think he he's invested in a lot of other horses. We tried, but uh, yeah, he's he's doing I think he's doing OK. No, I, th- I think he'll be. I think yeah. he'll be just fine. No, he's I think he'll be just fine. Yeah. No, it's always cool. It's, it's interesting. You know, the, the athletes, um, they like competition. And, um, you know, one of my good friends, Richard Lewis, he just, he loves the action and the competition. And I think, you know, you see Drew Brees, who's been involved with horses, you see, you know, Vince Woolfork and all these other athletes that I I just think that there's something about it, especially when their playing days are over. Uh, you still get that excitement of the big game. You still get that excitement of the competition and mine is better than yours. And, and uh, it, it's, I think it's a, it's a nice little marriage for athletes. I think it, I totally agree. I mean, look at uh, Eric Johnson, who's become a, right. a really big owner is a great guy. Um, Eric and I talk all the time and, and he's got that when we had a partnership with a bunch of hockey guys uh, involved, we had uh, Doug Wade and Bill Guerin and my really good friend, Ryan Johnson, who played in the league for 19 years. In fact, RJ just absolutely loves horses. He he was at uh, TaylorMade yesterday with his family checking out. He met uh, Princess Noor and uh, Serengeti Empress, and he saw Midnight Storm and uh, called me after. It was set up by Travis White from TaylorMade. He's a great guy. And those kind of experiences, especially for kids, he has two little kids, um, really, um, you know, they, you get sucked in. And when you when you meet horses when you're a kid and and you see how how majestic they are and beautiful and not to be cheesy but they're just they're powerful and they're but then you know you get up to them and you're able to pit, pet them and they stick their head in your in the, in the uh, crook of your arm I mean it's really it's it's really something and uh, there's something to the horses and that you that you fall in love with but you are a hundred percent right going back I think um, whether it's Coach Patino. 
Um, there's so many, uh, you know, Bill Parcells. There's so many um, um, sports figures that have gotten involved in racing, and it's it's only good for the game. And and uh, I I get it. I get the competition. Uh, you want it. You, that's that's why we're here. I mean, you want to win. You want to be the best. Now, you you talked about Midnight Storm, who who obviously you know when Midnight Storm was around, Singletary. Like I said, I, I went over on the card. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Midnight Storm, I, I did understand and appreciate what he was able to do on two different surfaces, which is something that obviously doesn't happen very often. You know, there's Catholic Boy and, uh, you know, I guess Curlin and Big Brown and, and, and you know, horses that were able to be just as good on both surfaces. What, what, did, what was Midnight Storm uh, like to be around and what did he do for the operation? Um, it's scary. He he was not a uh, a sweetheart. This is this was a big, strong colt slash horse who uh, who had a temper. And uh, when he was in his stall, that was uh, her his barn, and uh, that was his, and that was his area. And you didn't. He, 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 I don't know. Can we swear on this show? Um, yeah, of yeah, course. No, he, he, uh, he yeah, you couldn't <laughs> fuck around with Midnight Storm. Uh, he was he was really really uh, um, he was one of a kind because. As you said, he the dual surface thing and just how game he was and and credit to um, Phil D'Amato and his team. Um, he really he really kept him together. And we were very, uh, again, fortunate. Um, Phil came up to us after he won the Del Mar Derby and said, you know, I really think this horse is, is going to be a star. Um, and we we met up with Alex Veneri, who had uh, who owned him and, and bred him. And Alex was able to uh, carve off a piece for for Little Red Feather. And we had some really, really we had a great partnership. Um, some of our favorite people were in Midnight Storm. And it, it makes it so it makes it awesome. I mean, all our partners are our favorite people. But this group was was really special. And uh, watching him, um, the, the, the race that really stands out is the Eddie Reed that he won. Um, and if you ever if you have that bring that back up one day um because he was in front he was the favorite he set all the pace he was so fast and he would you know he'd be out there and setting the pace and winging it on the front end and then at the at about the quarter pole it really looked like he was just going to get engulfed and, and run fifth um and, and he just he just dug in and in the last probably 100 yards he was pulling away again and that just that was him uh, he was all about competition. He was really, really game. Um, probably had some distance limitations. We really tried to win the the Grade One Gold Cup. I think twice. I mean, the one year we lost to Shaman Ghost. I think it was, I don't know if it was, I don't have it in front of me. It was either Santa Anita Handicap or the Gold Cup. Um, really wanted that Grade One win on on dirt, and Shaman Ghost just ran us down in the last two hundred yards. Uh, but at a mile, mile and a sixteenth, mile and an eighth on on either surface. He, you knew he was going to go out and and give it his one hundred and fifty percent, and he was just he was just tough, and that that's yeah, what you been, that's what you want. Would have been cool to see him in like the Met Mile, you know. Obviously, um, he spent a lot of his time on the West Coast, but that yeah. that'd have been an interesting spot for him, you know. And um, yeah, it would have. I I don't who who was it that year back? Um, I don't have it in front uh, of me. Let's see, in two thousand seventeen, I hope it, it wasn't like frosted. Like, two thousand seventeen feels like it feels like palace malice maybe uh, yeah it would have been interesting but back then you know we weren't we weren't really thinking along those lines you know it wasn't till um later in his career really when we switched him from dirt to turf we we ran him in the pacific classic was just a bad idea and then uh brought him back and i think he won the sea biscuit which was on the grass and then the next year we said hey if this horse is going to be a stallion which we think he's 
it's worthwhile to to try it. I mean, he's by Pioneer the Nile, um, and he's he was a he's a beautifully made horse, really really correct. Uh, and if you go see him at Taylor Made, and and by the way, anybody out there listening, and you'd like to go see Midnight Storm at Taylor Made, you know, call me, call Travis White, just call over there. He's so fun to go see. He they he has he's next to uh, Not This Time. And the two of them have quite a relationship and they literally have, I've seen it. They have little stare downs and then the, they take off up this hill and this grass. And it's almost like they're racing JK. It's amazing. It's the, I have the chills right now. It's so cool to watch these two stallions basically like square off on a daily basis. It's, it's, and and not this time has been obviously amazing uh, in the breeding shed. And uh, speaking, I I brought up princess nor before, Uh, but I I really think midnight storm has a chance. And I, I obviously I've said this before on the show. I mean, I'm biased, but I've seen, we own one of his uh, yearlings or recently turned two year olds. We saw a bunch of them who sold and they're all really nice. So, um, and I think they're going to be fast. Don't you kind of, don't you think they have a chance to be fast? Look, he, he was fast. Yeah. And, and I, you know, if I ever got into like full meal deal horse ownership, I think having a, a horse that can handle the grass that has early speed is such a dangerous weapon in this day and age because, you know, we talk about turf racing all the time. It's so trip oriented. Well, if you're in the front end, you don't have to worry about a trip. 100%. <laughs> you're, you're not going to lose ground. Right. You're going to control it and you're going to have all the good horses that are behind you or pace dependent. You're going to get them off the bridle because you're going so fast. I just, it's a, it's a beautiful situation. It's a good and, weapon. Yeah. And, and I would imagine what is, what does Midnight Storm stand for? I believe it's 7,500. Yeah. So it's like, it's not 10, like, it's, you know, he's going to have lots of opportunities affordable, yeah. you know? Oh no. Uh, I think he's got a chance. I'm hoping. And they'll, and they'll breed to race. They're not going to, he's not going to be, you know, this, some horse to get stuck into this commercial thing where they're just trying to sell them. Right. So you know, it's look. I, I, he's a, he was a fun horse, man. I I loved that horse. He was he was a really good horse. Did he I, run I, down the hill ever? He ran down the hill one time. He was favored, and he ran third. It was it was during the part. It was the part of his career where we were trying a bunch of different things, and I think it was a comeback race, and you know, it just didn't work out. Yeah, he just feels like the type of horse that would love going down the hill. Yeah, but, you know. You know, yeah, I think they went like types cutting back. Yeah, but I think they went like, you know, 20 and three and, and 43 and one that day. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, I think they went a little fast if I remember the race correctly. That doesn't necessarily work. I think it was the um, so you, uh, the, you know, there's a, obviously Chicago tie with uh, with Singletary and, and, and you played baseball at Northwestern. And then right out of college is when you kind of did your first syndication. W- were you very involved with racing when you were in Chicago? Were you going to Arlington Park and Hawthorne? What was your racing like when you were in school? Uh, not as much as I probably would have liked, but I would take the boys. We made several trips to Arlington. I don't I don't think we ever made the trip to Hawthorne, but we did go to Arlington a few times. Had a had a blast. Uh, I did, uh, I was in a fraternity there that we went to the Kentucky Derby, uh, every, every year. So that was a different experience being on the, uh, on the bus for seven hours and not sleeping and then getting there and going to the infield. JK, have you ever been to the infield at the Derby? I have walked through the infield. Yeah. Well, I, I was one of the idiots, uh, in the infield for several years. I was there when winning colors won. And that was actually one of my, that was a great day because, you know, West, so, West coast and, and the Philly. And I just, it was very easy to explain to people why, you know, you bet this Philly. And I think everyone in our fraternity won money that day. So it was a, it was a great day. And we, we had a, we were on the, uh, where were we? Probably about the quarter pole, uh, at Churchill. 
on the infield and it was it was a mob scene and you're young you're 17 18 years old you can do things like that i would not want to do the infield today i'm way too old oh, no I, can, no I can barely walk through without yeah. getting stressed out yeah but it was a great um, day but i so so we did we you know and i kept i kept in touch i kept following i i always followed the races i watched the races when we could you know we didn't have the technology we have today uh but when i got when i got back i said you know i need to do this i need to uh i need to be an owner that was really uh and i had no money and um, I just got together with a bunch of my buddies um, and had an opportunity uh, with um, Ron Ellis. Uh, had a had an old friend. He was working with an old friend of my grandfather's, and he had a mare to sell and a baby. And I put a group together to uh, to buy it. We used to hang out at this place. I don't know how much you haven't spent much time in LA. There, there's a Cuban food place named Versailles. It's really, really good. They have this garlic chicken that when you eat it, you you basically have garlic breath and you smell for four or five days. You ever have places like that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So we uh we I named this uh group the Versailles Racing uh Versailles Racing Syndicate. Or what did I yeah, Versailles Racing Syndicate. And uh we made the silks in the colors of the restaurant and we had one horse and we named her No More Worries. That was the first horse we ever had. And, you know, we wanted to say Hakuna Matata. I think Lion King might have been big at that time, but uh, it was taken. So we went no more worries. And she actually broke her maiden and it was great. And and that, you know, just I think we all put up like a thousand bucks. There was like probably 15, 20 of us. And, you know, we barely had enough for expenses. But that was the start, the Versailles, the Versailles Racing Syndicate. And we made T-shirts and hats and we had just a, had a great time. And that's that's where it really started. That was 91. Uh, wow. That was 30 years ago. Yeah. It's crazy so, when you think about it because I feel like it was yesterday. I can still see it, you know? I think I have yeah, the winter circle t- picture. Time time, time definitely flies. What now, now obviously, and we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit more. I think it's super interesting, but you're, you come from a family of Hollywood. At what, and, you, you know, I, and you studied film at, at Northwestern, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, so radio, at television, point, film at, at what point were you like, all right, I'm transitioning to this? Was it no worries? Is, is, is that what... No, no more worries. No. Kind of- you know, I I couldn't I couldn't make a living at at doing just horse racing. Um, didn't really have the know how, uh, and didn't have the experience, and so I was in the film business just um, right out of school. I was doing some of my own thing. I thought I could produce my own films and TV, and I didn't know what I was doing. I produced a workout video for my wife. Uh, or my, I, yeah, I think she was my wife at the time. So that was probably in like 94 we got married. Um, and I, I got a job, uh, yeah, a bunch of odd jobs. And then I ended up working in the visual effects world and I really enjoyed it. And I was able to kind of on the side, have these little, little partnerships and, uh, ended up working for a company named Rhythm and Hughes. And the beauty of Rhythm and Hughes was their offices were in the marina so at about two o'clock every day, once I had all my work done, I would go into my boss. Was, I remember Lee Berger. Shout out to Lee out there. And I'd say, um, I have a cell phone. And if you need me, uh, I'll be at Hollywood Park. So it was, he'd be like, are you serious? He's like, and then he'd go, do you like anybody? <laughs> and uh, so um, I would start, you know, I had a bunch of little syndicates. I had after Versailles Racing, I think I had, um, I worked on Jerry Maguire. I was the green screen coordinator for a company named Cinesite on Jerry Maguire. I was actually under his desk when he was screaming, show me the money. 
because that was all shot in a studio and there was green screen. I was taking plate notes, they were called. Um, and while I was doing that, I was setting up these little little partnerships. I so they had um, SMI Sports Management International. I started a syndicate called TMI. Not too much information, but uh, Thoroughbred Management International. And uh, you know, I would raise like fifty, a hundred thousand, and then we would claim horses, and that's really. But I was doing it on the side, and I not until Singletary won the Breeders' Cup did I say, um, "Hey, you know, maybe this could be a business." And how do I make it a business? And that's one of the things that uh, Gary Fenton really brought to the table. I, you know, Gary and I went to high school together, and Gary was very involved in in racing. And and I, you know, I said to him, I said, "Listen, I." I'm I'm not a great businessman. I think I'm a good salesman. Um, I obviously have a lot of passion for this game, but I I'm not a I'm not a great businessman. And Gary's a lawyer, so it kind of made a good match because um, he was able to kind of point us in the right direction and and starting to actually make this a business. And that's that's really the history. I mean, that's the, there's it, it was it's a long road and. You know, there's a lot of people out there. They call me today and they're talking about starting this and how do they do it. And and I, I I'm happy to give them advice and and tell them some of the things that I've learned. And and um, you know, uh, you need you need a lot of luck. You need a lot of patience. You need really really good people behind you. And I think that's where Little Red Feather has really our brand. If you look around at the people that we have, um, um. First of all, the not just the partners because they're the most important. The people who believe in us and trust us, and to to find good horses and to put together this product and experience that they expect. But the team of you know trainers and vets and bloodstock agents, and you know we started pin hooking. We've started uh, broodmares uh, pin hooks. We've started so many other parts of this business. And once you start really delving into other aspects of the business, JK, you learn more about your own part of the business. And it's it's really been eye-opening. And throughout the years, we've just met so many great people, like a guy like Tom McCrocklin, who has, uh, you know, he's one of my really, really good friends in the industry and has has helped us immensely. And he's bought a lot of, of many of our uh, big little red feather horses. I'm big little red feather. That's funny. Uh, <laughs> but um, you need people in this game that, you can, I always say this about trainers, especially and agents. It's like you need people that you can trust and that you know that they have your best interest um, in mind, and then they have to also trust you. And I think that's a that's that's when you start really developing relationships, like the one we have with uh, with Phil D'Amato or a Mike Pipey, and more recently Mark Glad or Michelle Nevin. These people are, as far as I'm concerned, they're the hardest working people in the business. These trainers. They have the best staffs and, and you need people like that if you're going to be successful. You know, and, and I think one of the things that, that I'm excited to, to kind of ask you about and, and not trying to throw any other types, not trying to throw any syndications under the bus or anything like that. I just think that there's, there's probably sides of this that you could explain better than most. And, and I think it's the idea that if someone, you know, buys into Little Red Feather or My Racehorse or West Point or whatever it is, if they're, you know, they 200 bucks, a thousand bucks, 15,000, 20,000 bucks, you know, what, or 10 strike racing, like our friends, Marshall Graham, it it's you're to me in those situations, if you're getting involved in a syndication, you are paying for an experience. If you want to make money, then raise money by yourself and do it on your own where there's zero overhead and you, and you assume all the risk. That is where you make money. Now, Look, we've all seen after Authentic One, we saw the breakdowns and eh, whatever. It is what it is. But 
I, I just I, I think that the expectation is a little bit different. Um, it should be different when you're looking at a syndication. I could have said it better, uh, JK. I think you you hit the nail on the head. This is this is an experience based business. This I tell people all the time: do not even call this an investment. If you make money um, in horse racing, you're extremely lucky. Um, you know, even the smartest people in business, they come into this game and they often don't have success because they can't really bring that same business acumen into this game that they really know nothing about. And I think that's one of the sad parts uh, of our game. But as far as syndications goes and everybody, you know, does it their own way. I tell people all the time when I get just a, a phone call from a prospective client, I always ask them, you know, who else have they talked to or, um, you know, and they and and we put out an ebook that just says, "Here's questions to ask when you when you are talking to to syndicates." And I think I think the most important thing is that you, as a as a potential investor, um, have to be comfortable with the the people that you are dealing with and the program that they that they put forth. So people kind of know our brand. I think I think the Little Red Feather brand, and you you tell me. I mean, I think that we're we're very fun. I think we we have success on the racetrack. I wouldn't say, comparatively speaking, to some of the other partnerships that we are necessarily expensive, but we're certainly not cheap, um, or I don't like to say cheap, inexpensive. Um, and I, I I think, but I think there's a brand for everyone. And I think some people really like the My Resource experience that they can b- buy a piece of Collusion Illusion for thirty dollars. And I'm I'm friendly with Joe Moran, who who helps run that. This young kid who's I think he's great. Um, I think that, and, and there's a market for that. And I think what Wayne Hughes is doing with that is, is brilliant. Wayne Hughes is a really, really smart guy. Wayne Hughes, obviously, and I've known Wayne for a hundred years. Um, and, um, he believes in the product and he believes in bringing people into the game, which is one of the first things I said on this podcast, JK. And I think that's what they're doing. And hopefully some of those my racehorse people that are putting in $100 or $200 or $30 will eventually, quote unquote, graduate into another level and 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 end up with another syndicate or end up on their own. Um, when I first started, I always said like, hey, I'm fine with you thinking of us as, a, as almost like a, a minor league, even though I think we're in the majors of the sport. Like you come to us. You will learn a lot about the game. You'll learn about theories, where to place horses, which horses to buy and not buy, um, how to deal with the jockeys, which trainers to use, why do we use the. You're going to learn so much by joining a partnership and dipping your toe in the water. And then eventually, if you want to go out on your own, by all means, like you should enjoy it. But as you said, there's a lot more risk and there's a lot more to do. Um, so, so, and and I again, I couldn't have said it better myself you are paying for basically for our experience. And so that we can, uh, and I always tell people, you know, we, we treat it like a business. You treat it as fun. You get into this game and you just love on the horses and go to the races when you can, uh, and experience this just, I don't even know how to describe it. I used to say that, um, that the, the adrenaline rush of, of, of winning a race, and I don't care what kind of race it is. Um, there's nothing like it. I think it's better than sex, personally. A lot of people. Look, uh, I don't know. But that's just me. I mean, but you're a gambler, too. You know, I mean, you you know what it's like just even as a gambler. I mean, you know, I'm sure at the Breeders' Cup, uh, you know, winning some of those races this, this past year was was nuts. I mean, I, I go crazy. There's this thing, JK, and I don't really know how to experience, uh, explain it. And maybe you can. But it's like it's super out of body. 
like someone filmed us one time and and you're just screaming at the top of your lungs you're screaming at the jockey you're slapping your program you're all of a sudden you every muscle and bone it, you're at the end of the day sometimes when we have horses running i'm i'm hurt like physically because i've just been uh, you know, emotional and physical and it's 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 just you can't get that anywhere else that's what we're selling and if you could no, if you could bottle that you know you'd be you, you and i would both be rich there's nothing like when you turn for home and you've wagered on a horse other than if you own the horse. Right. And, and, and you don't even have to. And, and even if you don't own the horse or you didn't wager on the horse, having a emotional connection to the horse, whether it's a horse that that uh, has won you a big race in the past, but you didn't bet him this time or a horse that I'm sure the first time a midnight storm wins, you're going to feel some sort of excitement oh, yeah. as if it was yours. Um, even if you have a friend who owns a horse or whatever it might be. And, and, uh, and it's, it's really, it's hard to duplicate. And it's, I think it's what gets people coming back. It gets people buying more horses at the sales. It gets people grabbing the, uh, the past performances the next morning and handicapping the pick five. Um, when they turn for home, it's, it's, uh, you know, what's on the other side of that. You, you know, what's at the end at the wire. It, it could be disappointment because we've all felt it and yeah. it hurts. <laughs> And it hurts if it's financial, if it hurt, it hurts, if it's whatever, it just hurts. And then that makes it feel that much better when it actually happens. And that's, that's where that screaming and the, and the slapping of the program comes from is because, you know, you got about 20 seconds for something really good or really bad to happen. And it's, it's exciting. My good friend uh, and client Ben Posen, um, really good guy, very, very smart. And we, we talk a lot and we always say to each other, it's fun to be right. Sometimes it's not even about the money. It's not about, it's not necessarily about the partnership. It's not about anything, but it's just fun sometimes to be right. Um, claiming Red King for $35,000 and having him the next year win a grade two. Uh, things like that, that, that may, may not necessarily show up in the box score, as they say. Um, you know, uh, we had a Philly win the other day that was part of our pinhook partnership. I don't know if you saw the race, Pharaoh's Heart. She was in the second race at Santa Anita on Sunday. Yes, I did see her. Yeah, and we we loved her. And she, you know, unfortunately, she was hurt as a two-year-old. We were trying to sell her. She was part of our pinhook group. And she got hurt and it took her two years to get to the racetrack. And we have a great partnership in Solana Beach Sales. That's what we use for our art. And that's why we had those silks on her. And... After that, that race was so emotional, not only because she ran a 90 buyer, by the way, we haven't gotten the sheet numbers yet, but that everyone was so patient and everyone in our partnership was just so looking forward to having her run. And then she, she went down to Del Mar about a month ago, a month and a half ago, and she flipped in the paddock. It was just a, a random, strange incident that we still can't understand. She went up on her back legs and kind of slipped and had to be scratched. I mean, there has been so, that 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 partnership, just the very end of this partnership, because she's the last horse we had and we just hung on to her because we couldn't sell her, you know, and it's been fraught with with just kind of patience, disappointment, patience, patience, patience. And all of a sudden she goes out there and just runs that race, JK. And I can tell you, I've, I've watched the replay at least 45 times, just myself, just sitting in myself, like before I go to bed, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to watch this again. There's, and, and I've, I've seen a thousand races. We've run one of so many races, but every time you win a race, that's kind of the feeling. And then there are those special moments like her that just is exactly what you said. 
it just keeps you coming back for more. You know, you and I'm sure as a gambler, you'll you've had terrible days. Um, and I, it, but then all of a sudden the next day you find a, a 12 to one shot that you're keying in a try or in a double. I know you like doubles, um, and you hit and you're like, yes. And I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but yes, it feels good in your bank account when you do that. But isn't there a little something about just being right? Oh yeah. I mean, I think that's what's driven me so much in this game. And like what kind of got me into contests is like, I'm super competitive and um and even like with a friend i'll argue with a friend i just want to i want to be i like being right it's just kind of fun yeah and 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 so that 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 happens in racing as well a lot of that comes from from you know just that reward of of being right like you said whether you claim one whether you pin hook one you make the decision to 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 grab an instilled regard and the horse sells for you know whatever it is right million dollars million million dollars you start feeling like damn i'm I, i was right about that one yeah, and yeah. that wasn't me. I give Tom McCracken credit about that, but uh, but no, now, you're you're right, and you just again, but that that goes to that whole. Listen, there's the age old saying, and it's it's all over the place. This is a little bit cliche, but um, surround yourself with really good people, surround yourself with really smart people, and surround yourself with people who know more than you do. Um, I think that's. I think uh, I, I, I I'll, I'll tap pat myself on the back. I think we've assembled a really really good team of people who. I trust and who, who definitely know more than I do. Now, when it comes to Pharaoh's heart, because I'm just curious from a business standpoint, because she's a part of the Solana beach portion of, uh, of, of your, of your business. Now, is she a horse that is for sale or is she a horse that you'll continue to race? Because that's obviously your main focus. How does that work out? Because she's a different part of a different entity. It's a great question, JK. And I I wish I could answer it for you. We've already received uh, some offers for her that we are thinking about. In fact, this morning, um, we're waiting for the the sheet numbers to come back. We're big Thurograph guys. um, And she did run a 90 buyer. And um, this partnership is a little bit different because um, it's not like your regular racing partnership. You hit it right on the head. However, however, uh, these are also home run hitters in this in the pinhook partnerships and they see her potential and i'm not so sure they're going to sell um we like to have a real good pulse of our partners obviously um as gary likes to say there always needs to be a dad in the relationship so we will ultimately make the decision but if you're making decisions uh without kind of listening to your partners uh you're not a very good managing partner so um uh we'll we're gonna think about it and uh, figure out what to do, but it's it's really exciting to have a filly like I, we've never had a, a horse run a ninety buyer first time out, even though she is four. Yeah, but who cares, right? Yeah. I mean, ninety is a ninety, and the thing about it is, is like you know, and, I, and I've I, we all you know, I've got friends that are in the business that are either a trying to buy fillies like that, or or b would be selling a filly like that in in the situation or you know you could also roll the dice right you know you, she makes her next start and an allowance and she wins by 7 and then and then next thing you know she's in a, a stake and if she wins there you you've, you've left right. a lot of money on the table if you sell her now 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 well, if, if she if you, you know it's, I, it's okay. both ways. if you and I own the horse we'd have already sold her let's put it that way you and I <laughs> you, you and I if we own the horse she'd be sold uh, uh the guys who are in our pin hooking fund man might not need the money so we'll see what happens but you, you know, and i, I mean, should I, be gone that, that's what's beautiful about the experience right is like this can be whatever you want it to be this game right it can be a flat out 
numbers game business, or it can be a, I don't care if you offer me 28 million, I'm not selling her because I got into this game to have good horses. Yeah. I think right on the money, you know? Yeah. And I think, I think, um, what we've done a good job of is since we are a partnership and I believe our, our investors are, I've already said, I mean, they're, they're fantastic. Our partners really trust us. So we've had incidences where we've had a good Philly, like secret spice. Um, and we received an offer after she had won the grade one, uh, beholder from, uh, Bobby Flay and our good friend Bradley Weisbord and came to us with a really, really good offer for half the horse. And we took it. Um, and we still owned half the horse. Our people, you know, made however many X on their original investment. I think she was 125,000. I think we syndicated for maybe 200. Um, and, uh, it was a great experience and it was great to partner up with Bobby. And, and of course, Bradley Weisberg did a great job selling her at the end for elite sales. And, um, you establish these relationships. We have, uh, horses that we've bought now that Saul Cuman has bought into. Um, and you know, Saul is, is a great guy. He's a great partner. Um, and he'll, and he'll, I'm, I'm a firm believer and let's forget Pharaoh's heart. Cause she's a little bit of a different situation, but I'm a firm believer in taking money off the table, especially in these one horse partnerships where, you know, you have a, you have a chance to not only get out, but still be involved in the horse. And that would be most of the time that would be my recommendation. And because like you said, in that way you get the best of both worlds. So you take you you mitigate your risk. You still own the horse. You're still along for the journey, but you have some cash in your pocket, and you you know you've at least broken even, maybe a small profit at this point, and then hope for the big profit later on when you sell the horse. And we've had you know we've had some some great sales. We sold Mirth last year for a million dollars. Uh, Bradley sold her um, Egg Drop. We sold for one point nine million. Um, Secret Spice ended up after we we made the deal with Bobby after her career was over. She sold for I believe one point four. Fault sold for over a million dollars. So um, these 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 fillies who have success on the racetrack, it, it really helps. Yeah, and you know, and I think I've I've always been a believer that like you know you know people have I, I know for a little while, and I haven't heard it as much as of late, but for a little while, Saul was almost like a punchline because he was just kept getting involved in all these horses. He was owning a you know a piece of every good horse and da da da. But here's the thing. If you're in the industry and I've got friends who are just like at the bottom trying to make it as bloodstock agents or as owners, they've got four horses. And I mean, when, when Saul is putting so much money back into the game and allowing these other people to go buy other horses, when they get that money off the table, it's good for everyone. It's good for the farms. It's good for the sales. It's good for the entry boxes. It's good for everyone. And so, I, you know, I, I love to see that type of stuff when people are active and, and getting involved. I think Saul's great. I think he's great for the game. I completely agree with you. I don't, I think he's got a, I think Saul has a business plan. Um, if you talk to him and he, I think he talked a little bit about this on our podcast that we did, but I've, I talked to him for a long time, actually a couple of weeks ago, I think during the, uh, during the holiday. And he was telling me about, you know, he uses analytics. Um, he knows which kind of trainers he likes to go do with certain horses. Um, you know, he really has broken down, um, his, uh, investments and hit and the way he approaches these, these private purchases. So yeah, he's in on a lot of horses, but he, he buys good horses and you know, no one has to sell if they don't want to. Right. So, 
You know, Absolutely. I, I mean, I, I I told him I created this. I was telling you a little bit before I created this new East Coast fund that I'm I'm pitching right now for 2021 that in Midwest and East Coast. And I told Saul, I said, I'm just completely ripping off your idea. I'm calling it the Saul Fund. I'm literally just raising money and we're going to go out and we have so many good connections in the industry right now. And we're going to go try to find minority interests in really good racehorses and, and let people experience that. And I think it's I think I like I, I, I'm not joking. I stole it from Saul. I like what and, he and does, for, and it's going to yeah. be fun. And for clarity, you mean you're going to buy uh, horses on the off the track, horses yeah. that have run. Yeah, absolutely. They, you know, uh, you're going to buy Pharaoh's Hearts, yeah. the ones that break, uh, exactly. break their maiden for 90, and you're going to buy in for 10, yeah. 15, 20%. Exactly. And, yep, that's yeah. exactly what we're going to do, and that's the plan. And and I, I, I literally stole it from Saul's game plan, and he knows it. I told him. I sent him the, I sent him the uh, brochure. <laughs> I said, does this sound familiar? And, and and like you said, your 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 clients who are who are your investors that are looking for that experience, that is actually a better model for the experience. Because if you buy a yearling or a two year old, you gotta wait, and then you gotta hope, and you gotta wait, and you gotta hope. It's different. You buy, yeah. It's just a different. It's a different. Uh, it's it's a different, different because you'd be surprised, J.K. A lot of people like to be involved at the beginning. They like the yearling or a two-year-old that they get to that we kind of name as a group, and they get to know the horse. And obviously, we're talking non-pandemic times, okay? Uh, you know, where we could go back to the go back to the barn and and meet the horse and spend time and all that kind of stuff. It's been pretty tough in the the last well since March, um, without really having to see our horses. I have certain people that that um just won't in, won't invest right now because they they can't go and and hang out and give the horses carrots. I mean, I know it's a kind of a joke, oh, you just go back and give the horses carrots. Well, that's part of the experience. And um but thankfully, I have to say our little red feather partners have been incredible during the pandemic. I mean, they have continued to uh, invest. We bought horses. I, we didn't think we were going to be able to buy a horse and syndicate a horse during this time. And our partners have stepped up. They've supported us. And we ended up having some nice horses. I mean, Beer Can Man, we buy from Indiana Downs, and he goes and wins a grade three in his first start. I mean, it was incredible. That was another race that you're just like, that's awesome. No, it's 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 a, it's it's a surprising how – it's surprising how racing has seemingly – I don't want to say survived, but thrived during these times. I mean, it's, it's not, obviously it's not perfect. And we're missing that on track experience like you're talking about, but you know, it, man, I, I, it wasn't the same at Saratoga this summer, but man, it still felt pretty good in the midst of, of kind of a, of a rough year. Right. I mean, it, it, it still felt good to, to be in the city and there were still people around and they're still able to get some owners in and, um, and the product I thought was good. And I thought a lot of the, the racetracks have done as good as they they can to protect the uh, the participants and to keep the horses, you know, happy and healthy. And and so keep them racing. Been, That's been the right. key. Just keep them racing. Yeah. Everybody. I, I give giant kudos to, to all the racetracks that have been able to keep racing and keep going in the face of this pandemic. And, and you know what? Um, kudos to the, to the players who have, who have really stepped up. And I think Santa Anita had a record, you know, opening weekend. And that's pretty incredible that during a pandemic, um, uh, you know, we're getting record handle numbers and these pools are big and the fields are big at Santa Anita. I think it's been an incredible start, um, to their meet. I credit, um, all the Santa Anita management. And like I said, uh, you know, the players, JK, I mean, what, it, I think one of the things that's really been great is there are, you know, shows like yours, um, not just, not this podcast, but what you do with, with Pete and the way you guys have, have marketed, um, 
the player and and the the expanded universe of these of these um uh competitions and these these uh uh tournaments that have been great i mean we have our own little lrf tournament i think we had 60 of our partners playing it the other day uh i i give i i think it's uh Hopefully horse racing is catching up a little bit. I still think we have a long way to go and I still think we need to further the use of technology and I still think we need to clean up the game and that's for another we'll do that uh, on our next podcast but um I think that that we're I think horse racing is trying. How about that? And I think yeah, people no, I mean, like look, yeah. I I feel very I feel very fortunate that my my heavy involvement in the game has come at a time where I feel like the horse player is being respected by the industry decision makers more than I'm assuming those of the past were right. You know, I'm, I'm friends with long time, long time uh, professional horse players that didn't even get a sniff of the respect that I think horse players are getting now. Now are they getting enough? Should they get more? Sure. Of course. But I feel like they're, we're at the table now in conversations about things that need to happen. You know, the respect that Marshall gets from, from the, uh, the decision makers and the racetrack operators. And, and, uh, and, and I, I think, you know, I think that goes a long way for us kind of, you know, sharing uh, our opinion on how we can make this game better. Because I think we both agree that the most important people in this game are the betters and the owners because everyone else has to be there for the most part, you know, um, we, we don't, I I can go do something else and you can go do something else as an owner. And, you know, you know, and and so I I think it's important that, that we both have a voice and and it feels like that's happening more than it has in the past. And obviously it's not perfect, but it feels like it's traveling in that direction. I would agree with that wholeheartedly. Uh, I think that, you know, it's, it's, again, it goes back to kind of marketing, marketing stars, um, and I think people like yourself and Marshall and, and, um, some of the other people out there that are, that are really becoming, um, kind of these, these name brands in the, in the player world. And they're trickling into the, 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 uh, nomenclature of the, of the horse world. Uh, I think it's huge. I don't think back in, I think back in the day, uh, I was on the TOC for eight years, um, many, many moons ago. And, um, a lot of times the attitude was that, you know, oh, the, the players are just the players, um, you know, the owners are the most important and then it's kind of everyone else. And then who are the handicappers? And I, I used to stick up for the players cause I used to play, I mean, I still do, but, uh, uh, not to the extent that I'm some big player, but I get it. And, and I think you are a hundred percent right. I think players deserve a voice at any table. Um, and I think it's improving and I I think there's, like you said, I think there's a ways to go. Uh, but I think people are starting to recognize and that's, that's a, that's a big first step. Billy, I've I've always, you know, I've, you know, I've got friends obviously with, you know, Marshall who does 10 strike and, and knowing a little bit about how they do things and, Tell, tell the listeners a little bit about the kind of behind the scenes of, of a syndicate. You know, do you, do you guys, when you do, uh, do, what are your, do you mean you have to do SEC type of stuff or do you have to mess with that? Does it depend on how you raise the money? Um, what are some of the maybe under, uh, underappreciated expenses that, that you guys have to, to, to take on that, you know, listeners might not be aware of? Tell me a little bit about kind of the, the financial behind the scenes portion of uh, Little Red Feather. I think, 
I think because we've been in the game for so long and because Gary is a lawyer, uh, he's done a great job of handling all that. Um, we still make sure that anyone um, that reaches out to us that we don't have a previous relationship fills out an accredited investor form. We like to follow the strict SEC rules as that as far as that goes. Um, so we don't have to do a lot of the stuff that like a my racehorse did um, because we're not we're not necessarily selling to the masses. Um, uh, we we make every every uh, horse or partnership is its own LLC. Uh, and and truthfully, JK, we make it simple. Um, when people come to us, they they fill out an accredited investor form. We make sure that they're accredited. And once they do that, um, we tell them the, the you know what the partnership is, what it's all about, how we do our expenses versus versus income. Um, people will like to know if there's any secret costs or anything like that. And truthfully, they're not. We lay everything out. Um, you know, if we buy a horse at a sale um, for a hundred thousand, we have a margin that goes on that horse. It's probably 150, 175, something like that. But you could you can look up what we paid. But within that, and and some people say, well, I don't like that. I don't like that markup. That's what we always get. I don't like that markup. And, and we say exactly what you said about a half hour ago. Well, if, if you don't like us and, and how we, we make money, um, then you can either A, go to another syndicate and, and find out what they're doing, or B, go buy the horse yourself. And, and this is not mean saying this. It's like, go buy the horse yourself and go and, and you go pay for it. You go finance it and you go out and find 15 other people that'll take 5% of it. So you can only own 5%. You know, it's, it's it's that's that's just as simple as it can be um right we're going out we've set up this whole thing i mean we have you know we have an online owner portal for people to go in we do their k you know the k1s all the accounting statements are on there um all the emails we're at almost every workout doing videos we do videos with the with the trainers and the jockeys so that people can really especially during the pandemic that people can really feel like we're there so there's that's the kind of behind the scene work that we do i feel like we're we're really um, on top of our game when it comes to communication, because truthfully, JK, we're not always going to be right. Um, we bought horses that just don't, they don't make it or they don't succeed. And it's going to happen. I go back to my opening statement that this game is hard. Uh, but, but as far as we're concerned, we've done a lot of the legwork so that you as a, as an investor or a potential investor don't have to. Um, so I wouldn't say there's anything kind of secret behind the scenes or anything, but we're on the lookout constantly for good horses. That's what we do, whether it's at the sales, whether it's uh, buying privately. Uh, and, and that's really the most important thing. You're going to be successful if you have good horses. That's the bottom line. And if you if you listen to your horses, um, I think my, I think it was Mike Mitchell, you know, used to say I love Mike Mitchell and I miss him. And, and he used to say, you know, do good by the horse and they'll do good by you. And um, it's really true. Uh, and I feel also I've talked about learning and, and, and I think if you're open-minded and, and you continue to learn and do your homework and, and you find what works best for you, um, I, you know, we bought, I, I talked about beer can, man, we bought a horse out of Indiana Downs. I never thought I'd buy a horse out of Indiana Downs. We did. And, and came and won a grade three. I mean, you just, there's certain things that we look for in a horse that whether it's the sheets, um, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, so their background, where they're from, who they're by, the, the, the lineage, the pedigree, all that stuff goes into a purchase. And that's the stuff we do. Um, that's the stuff we do beforehand. So any horse that we, th- we put out there to our, to the, the to our, 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 our partners and, and potential partners, they've been scrutinized so much to go back to our, what we've been talking about to try to be right. 
and and we're not always going to be right and that's 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 the part of the game that's it stinks i have i probably have a couple of uh, partners that have been in like you know two or three lousy horses and those are the ones that they chose and and it, it it's terrible i feel awful about it um oh, i feel that way all the time when oh, people want to buy and buy into my pick fours or pick yeah. fives and I- <laughs> yeah you, you don't feel good about it but but to go back to your to, to your original uh you know thought there we we've been around for so long now that we have a you know we have an ironclad llc agreement that we've been using for you know 25 years so we make little changes to it as it goes but but really i think the key is it it's we've made ownership simple and easy and if you're interested you, you drop us an email you give me a call you shoot me a text you say i'm interested in finding out more and we sit and talk about it and i i'm a i love talking to people on the phone i like getting to know people i like knowing where they're from and what they're doing and 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 their family and and i think that's what um you know we say little red family i mean i i think if you're talking about brand and we were talking about being you know little red feather on brand and i said i used the word fun um, I think it's also family. It's like we know uh, we get Christmas cards from our people. We we know their kids and we've watched them grow up. Um, and it's really it's really cool when you have that kind of relationship with your partners uh, because uh, it, it makes you kind of feel we're all in it together. Where did the name come from? Uh, it was my grandfather. Uh, when I was a kid, he used to tell me uh, bedtime stories about a fictitious Indian chief named uh, Chief Little Red Feather who would, and my grandfather was a producer and uh, he used to make up these stories and Chief Little Red Feather would always get in trouble. Uh, he would always do something wrong or something he shouldn't have done and then he had to correct himself. So uh, when he died back in uh, 2000 or 2001 um, and we were about to start Little Red Feather, um, I used that as the name. And I, I I think it's fascinating when I was just kind of doing some basic research, I was looking and, and and your grandfather and your dad were involved in some really cool movies. Like one of my favorite movies that I saw on the list was, was Wayne's world. I, oh, absolutely yeah. I worked on that. Wayne's world. I, really? was the, what you, what? I was the key set production assistant on Wayne's world. So I was basically in charge of Mike and Dana. That was my job. It was awesome. Yeah. They were just really a, a great experience, but, uh, production assistant is, is fun. And it's also interesting. You know, you're like, uh, shooting somewhere in the middle of, of LA at night and they send you like six blocks down to make sure the cars don't come when we're shooting. Uh, you know, it's, it's stuff like that, but it's, it's also really fun getting to know. And, and that was, that was kind of a fun part of, of my Hollywood experience. But yeah, my dad, uh, produced Wayne's world. I think he still gets residual checks, thankfully. Man, that that my favorite scene was uh, in that movie was when they're in, like the donut shop. Oh yeah, yeah, that's the best. You know where that is? <laughs> no, it's right on the way to Hollywood Park. It's not there anymore. Um, when you 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 took this back road, I think it was on. Um, oh God, now I can't remember the street. Uh, but it's right on the way to Hollywood Park, so we would always pass it and go up. Oh, there we go. There's Wayne's World right there, and we were there all night. Oh my, that was a long night that night. I can tell you that right now. I could, you know, it's funny is, is Dana Carvey was in this other movie that was, it was, it was kind of a, of a smaller movie, but I absolutely loved it. It was called, uh, Opportunity Knox. He was a, he was a, a, a con man. It's such a, it's such a good movie. Dana is uh really bright, really funny. I mean, really funny. He used to, and really generous. I think one of the days I, I just remember one of his first days that he was there, he brought like, you know, pizzas for the whole crew and you know when th- when the guys do like that when do things like that they ingratiate themselves into into you know the crew and he he treated everybody with respect and and had a lot of fun he was a great guy do you do you 
do you kind of still feel like you have that in your blood where you, you want to be doing things like that? Or are you okay being uh, at out, outside of Hollywood and just <laughs> watching movies on your couch? I, I, I think, I think uh, yes, the latter. Um, I, you know, I, I don't know how to quite put this JK, but I didn't, I didn't love the people in Hollywood. I wasn't, I wasn't a Hollywood guy. I, I, I wasn't, um, I'm not a very good uh, ass kisser. <laughs> I I just it wasn't kind of my style and I would probably say things that I shouldn't say and maybe I thought I was a little smarter than I was back then um but uh you know we were working on Wayne's World and um Penelope Spheris was the director and my dad was there and I think Lauren Michaels was there one day and they it was the it was the scene where they were putting up the picture of Claudia Schiffer uh when they were down in the basement and you know he does the swing and the whole thing so they pull out this picture and I'm a PA, right? I'm nothing. And they pull out this picture of Claudia Schiffer and it's like unrecognizable that it's her. And everyone's just kind of standing around saying, oh, this is the picture we're going to use. And I just pipe in and I said, hey, guys, like no one knows that that's Claudia Schiffer. Like it doesn't really even look like her. You need to get the guest jeans, Claudia Schiffer. And literally like everyone just looked at me and JK, I was like, "Uh oh, and even my dad is like, shut up. And, and, but the, like, I think it was Penelope. She's like, what do you mean? And I was like, well, you got to like, look it up. Like you need to get the real one so that they know, like, otherwise it's not going to make sense. And they did it. And my dad was like, don't, just don't do that, please. Like, don't, don't do shit like that. And I'm like, I don't, I'm sorry. What am I supposed to say? You know? And, and so I just didn't, I, I really, I'll be honest. I didn't fit in. Um, I just didn't, I just didn't fit in. And I loved horse racing. I mean, I just, I, that was my passion. And, you know, I give credit to my dad. My dad was always like, you know, hey, follow your passion, do what you want to do. And I say the same thing to people. I, you know, I, I'm so lucky. You talked about you being fortunate. I'm so lucky. I get to wake up and figure out, you know, I get to go see our workouts and talk to our trainers and plan our races and talk to the jockeys and strategize about where we're going to run and look for our next horse and go to sales and meet the coolest people. You know, I, this is, I, I'm, I'm the luckiest guy around. Um, and I've been able to make a living out of it. And, and I just, there's, when you, when you're doing the thing you love and you hear this again, this is cliche, but when you're doing the thing you really love to do, um, it, it makes it easy. And it, and it, it's so cool to like wake up every morning. Like I'm excited when I wake up to like, okay, what am I, what do I have to do today? Who do I get to go see? Oh, we have a race. We're in the, you know, we're in the third with a first time starter at San Diego. Like I am pumped. Like, I can't wait to get to the racetrack. Um, and then and then I've been able I've been so fortunate to to bring that to other people. I mean, that is, you know, it's like we just talked about how bad we feel when we lose and you do a pick four with everybody. But how good do you feel when you do a pick four and it hits for 13,000? You know, it's like it and, and, and all these people. Listen, I feel the, the I feel so good for our partners when we're right and we win that is the joy for me. I get more joy out of watching their reaction than I do, you know, my own. I, that's just how I am. That's how I'm built. And that's what we've built with little red feathers. You know, I can look and I have so many people that just popped into my head and I can see them screaming and cheering and, and going crazy and hugging. And I miss that stuff. I miss it during the pandemic. And because that's, that's what I get off on. Um, I, I uh, the fact that we're able to bring that kind of experience and bring that kind of joy to people is, is really an incredible feeling. 
you know, obviously we have a lot of players that, that listen here. What, what uh, do you, do you have some, some newly turned two-year-olds, uh, three-year-olds that haven't run yet you guys are excited about? Um, we, yeah, you know, we do. We have, um, I don't know if you know anything about Bobby Bow, but he was the horse that was uh, turned back at the sale, one of our pin hooked horse and he'll run at Solana beach sales. He's actually with Baffert right now. He's three and he's up to uh, he'll work a half mile this week at Los Al. So he's really exciting. Um, we have two, uh, three cowbred, uh, three-year-old boys with Phil D'Amato. And I think all of them have a chance to be really good. Um, one's named Atomic Drop. He's a Mucho Macho Man Colt. We have another one named Cargo. He is a point of entry. I'm sorry, not Colt. They're all geldings now. Uh, uh, Cargo is a point of entry. And Soto Capo is a street boss. And all of them are in training at Los Al with Phil. And they will debut soon. We bought a private purchase named Hung Jury. Um, he'll run in a starter allowance race uh, coming up at Santa Anita. We brought bought him from Woodbine. I think he's really nice. We have and then um, we have a couple. Uh, we have a oh, we have a, a filly with Mark Glatt named Menda Mill. She just turned three. She hasn't made it to the races yet, but I think she has a chance to be outstanding. And then we have some yearlings, so they're they're a little ways away. But um, you know, it's it's nice to look at your. I have a sheet that I just pulled out and you're, I'm looking at it and I kind of highlighted some of the stakes horses and it's nice when there's a lot of them on there because that's, that's what you dream about JK. You just getting into these stakes and winning, winning those Saturday races is, is, is really important. And, and we have some nice horses right now. It's, and it's a, it, I'm telling you, it's a tribute to our partners who, who just continue to, to amaze me with their, their confidence and their support. Um, it's, it's, it's just, it's, it's phenomenal. Do you have a preference? Do you care dirt or turf or are you good either way? Um, interesting question. And we could have, we can go into an entire dissertation on this. It's, it's very difficult, uh, with the Bob Bafferts of the world, um, to, to make a really good dirt horse here in Southern California. Um, that's just fact. I don't think you would, I think you'd agree with that. Um, he, he dominates that. So we do go out and buy a lot of turf horses. Um, and, and I think that turf racing in the United States is, is almost comparatively speaking to the, uh, to the players that we talked about that there's getting more, more and more respect. I love turf racing. I love dirt racing. I love all racing, but I want to put our horses in the best place that they can compete. And, um, it's difficult sometimes when, when you're going up against these uh, million, two million dollar horses. We just don't have the budget for that. So so uh, in order to, uh, in our own way, level the playing field, we, we do have a lot of turf horses. So I don't think I necessarily have a preference, but I think what we've been able to do, especially with racing in Southern California, is, is adapt. Uh, I go back to, uh, I think, uh, um, Brad, uh, Brad Pitt said it best in Moneyball. He said, adapt or die. And I think we've been able to adapt. So we still don't get me wrong. My dream is to win the Kentucky Derby. I'm 51 years old. Hopefully I live for, you know, 30, 40 more years. And so I only have 30 or 40 more chances to do it. And I'd like to get there one day. Um, but it's for me, I, I want our partners to be in horses that just that succeed and 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 win races. And, and ultimately, they they want to come back and, and do it again. That's a, that's a funny question. I always like to ask owners. So is that, is that number one? That's your number one on your list race you want to win is the Kentucky Derby? Oh, absolutely. I would, I'd, I've always dreamed about winning the Kentucky Derby. I've never even run in the Kentucky Derby. Um, it's, What's the closest you guys have been? Have you been? God, I don't I feel know. Like you've had a good I don't know if you've even tr- truly tried that hard, to be honest with you. <laughs> um, because 
I mean, nowadays you go to the sales. I mean, you look at uh, the Avengers, right? And they bought, you know, I think they bought 30 Colts for, you know, one billion jillion dollars. And it's it makes it a little tough. Um, you have to get really, really lucky or you have to be really smart and try to buy into a horse that has a chance. Um, but it's it's really tough to get there. And so I, I credit anybody who's there and especially the people who are there year in and year out. Um, and they spend a lot of money to get there. So um, I don't even know. I couldn't even tell you. I don't even think in the past few years we've had a, a, a good enough um, two-year-old, a three-year-old that that has has given us the hope that, hey, this is uh, possibly a derby horse. Um, to be honest, we and truthfully, as we've said, we buy a lot of fillies. Uh, our partners are conditioned. They're really, really smart, and they understand the the potential residual value of fillies. So whether it's Raimundo Secret or Z-Drop recently or um, – uh, Pharaoh's Heart or uh, Vault or Mirth or or uh, uh, Fault or Egg Drop. I mean, these are all fillies that went on and 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 sold for a lot of money. So they they see that that potential residual value. And if you're if you're in this as a business, that's certainly something you need to consider because it's a lot easier um, to make a filly a brood uh, a really nice broodmare than it is to make a colt a stallion. And now you, you mentioned the the obstacles of trying to, to to bang heads with with Baffert on the dirt, and and I'm assuming that based on the condition of Pharaoh's uh, Pharaoh Hart's last win, you're a fan of this new condition that we've seen in, in Southern California. And if people aren't familiar, uh, the condition of the race at Pharaoh's Heart one was uh, fillies and mares four years and up that were sold at auction for less than 150 thousand, or they were making their fifth career start. Or they were in for a tag. I'm, I'm assuming you're a fan of this condition. I'm a fan of of trying new things. So I'm I'm always going to be a fan of of someone that says, "Hey, we're going to try this out and see if this works." So yes, um, and did it work? I have no idea. Um, could Pharaoh's Heart have probably won a maiden special weight? Sure. Uh, but it, it gave, sure, it gave us a, an advantage because we didn't have to face horses that were purchased for half a million dollars and a million dollars and these these Baffert freaks. I think more importantly, I used to have a theory called the Baffertization of Southern California. And me and Bob are good, by the way. I mean, he trains for us. I, I, I respect Bob. Um, uh, but what he's done, and, and, you know, actually Mark Glatt said something really interesting the other day, and we were working Pharaoh's Heart, and she worked in like, you know, a minute and... Let's say 101, you know, and I kind of looked at him. I said, are you ever, ever going to let this horse run in the mornings? Because she was always under wraps and she was always just cruising. And he said he made a good point. He said, he said, Billy, he said, we have one Pharaoh's heart. So I can't go out and breeze this horse in 59, 59 and change and and really put it to her in the mornings to get her, you know, 110 percent fit and ready to run. I just can't. We have one. Baffert has 15 Pharaoh heart, Pharaoh's hearts. So when he goes out, he can do basically whatever he wants because, it, you know, and we don't want anything to happen to the horse, but if the horse comes up with a little something, whatever, he's got, he's got six more behind ready to go. And, and it may, it really kind of, it really opened my eyes and it made me think to, we talk about level playing field. There is no, you know, there's no salary cap here, JK. Um, so, you know, you look at a barn like his or even, you know, Sadler and, and Simon Callahan has some really expensive horses and whether it's those, you know, some of those barns that are just absolutely loaded with, with high priced young horses. Um, I, so yes, I think the answer is yes. I, I do appreciate the rule. I hope it works. I hope it, and I, and I, I appreciate any racetrack jurisdiction that's willing to go out and try new things. So, 
I guess that's that's a roundabout way of saying yes. No, I, 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 I agree. No, I love it. I, <laughs> no, I'm the same way, man. Like I, the the thing I hate the most, and and I'm you know I'm sure you feel the same way in racing is, and there's other industries that do this, but I know we do it too. Is well, why can't we do that? Well, that's just that's just not how we do it. No, we're not doing that anymore. Yeah, that's oh, how. But I'm sure, insane. like going back, let me let me turn it around to you. Um, you're 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 a player, right? Okay, so you're every time you see a Chad Brown with Irad, you might not even like the horse, but in the back of your mind, I know when you're playing a pick five or a pick four, you're like, oh my, do I have to use this horse? I have to. It's almost like you know, because there's it's I, so dominant. You know what I mean? Yeah, I've been actually trying to condition a, a good friend of mine to stop saying that. Right. <laughs> you don't have to use it. And in fact, because it's Chad and Irad, there's even more incentive to not use. Because if you can beat that horse in the sequence, everyone else in the world is saying they have to use the horse. Right. right. And now you can use another horse or you can hit repeat and not use the horse. And if you can beat that horse in that sequence – now you're sitting on a on some serious equity in that ticket, and 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 like you said, it's a hard game, and I've, I'm just conditioned to the fact that I'm going to lose, 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 and then I'm going to win, and the win is going to pay for all of those losses and some. So yeah, makes it's, a lot of it's sense. Just, it, you have to condition yourself, and and obviously, you know, it, it's the same for you. If you're if you're running all of your horses, it, it, you know, you, if you're running all your maiden special weight types for forty. Well, you're going to win a lot of races. Sure. But you're also going to look down the shed row at some point. You're not going to have any horses. Sure. Because you're going to take them all. <laughs> yeah. And uh-huh. so you, you can't, you know, you, you have to, you have, you have to kind of push the envelope and, and, and take those chances. And so, um, well, I think, you know, I've tried I think to do that yeah. And I think time. playing and, and owning is very similar because, you know, you're looking for value. I, I've again, you think I haven't, but I've listened to a lot of your stuff and, and I know that you're always on the hunt for value and you talk about the Chad Irad thing. I mean, you, and that's exactly what you just said. Well, we're looking for the same thing. We're looking for an undervalued horse that we can buy, that we can claim, that we could turn into something, that we see something. Man, this horse is bred for grass and they've never ran it on the grass. You know, what is that morsel of information that we can come up with that we can, that we can create value? And I think you do the same thing when you're playing. Absolutely. Billy, we're looking forward to uh, you guys getting started on the network with uh, the owner's box. What are some ideas that you guys have for the year you're excited about? Some some people that maybe you haven't had a chance to have on the show and you're looking forward to getting on and 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 uh, some, some stuff maybe the listeners can get uh, well, get to look forward to. <laughs> for anybody that knows our show, we're st- we try every week to get on Gary Barber and he's an old friend of mine from from Hollywood and he just refuses to do the show. So that will be he's like our uh, he's like our Matt Damon on Jimmy Kimmel. Uh, trying to get so uh, Gary Barber, if you're listening, I don't know if you listen to the show, but we will have you on. We, we listen, JK. To be to be frank, we look at the landscape of horse racing every week, and and we just try to get someone on who we think people will be interested in. We had um, Tom Cagle on the other day, a good friend. I don't know if you know Tommy, but he had uh, you know he claimed um, the the uh, the good sprinter for Pete Miller. I just totally lost my head. Um, and then he had another claim that won the other day for Pete Miller. Um, we had him on the other day. We had, um, uh, I'm just looking through the list. Uh, Jack Knowlton came on our show uh, b- before the Travers for Tis the Law. Um, we've had uh, the syndicate people. I've had Terry, we've had Terry Finley on the show a couple times. Uh, I'm just kind of looking. It's been, so really we're going to, we, we want people, anyone who really wants to, has a story to tell. 
And, and we're going to do, because we're on your network now and you guys do such a good job of all the handicapping stuff and the stakes previews and all that kind of stuff, we're going to change our format and we're not going to do that anymore. Our show is primarily going to be interview-based, getting to know owners and again, giving them a voice to, to tell their story and to hopefully attract others into the game. Because as I said, for the third time on this podcast, that's my goal. My goal was always to bring people in. That's why I started Little Red Feather. And that's why we continue to preach about how great horse ownership is. And hopefully that message will get across. And even if it takes one person uh, to, to listen to a show and say, man, I can do that. And JK, I could tell you, we've received so many emails from people thanking us uh, they're, and they're in the game now, whether it's in a syndicate, whether they bought into my racehorse, whether they went on their own, I can't, it's been the, the response has been phenomenal. And that's one of the reasons we wanted to come over to your platform was because we needed our, we needed some help with some marketing stuff. And you guys do such a good job, whether it's on social media, um, and, and we're so appreciative and so looking forward to, to working with you guys and, and really giving the, the owners a voice and, and having a different show where we can be very candid, um, and, and Michelle is great, as you know, she's so much fun and, and she has a great time doing it. And I think she's really smart, knows so much about horse racing and she brings that to the table and she's fun. She and I yeah, have a really absolutely. good banter and, and we really enjoy each other. And I think that makes for a good show. I'll tell you what I'm looking forward to as well. And, and I encourage, I encourage the horse player listeners, um, is, to do it as well. One of the things when I first got started in this game was listening to Steve Bick all the time and listening to owners tell stories about, well, we thought this horse was going to do this, but he ended up doing that. And we thought he wanted to go two turns, but really what happened was if you look at his last race, they did that. And it's like, it opens your eyes, the handicapping ideas that you wouldn't have been aware of. One of my other favorite things is they'll tell you what their plans are. So when you're handicapping and those plans change, mm -hmm. you can, it, it gives you a real heads up on, Ooh, I wonder oh, about this. Or if they come on and they say, look, we thought this was a turf horse. We breeze this horse on the farm on the turf, which no one would ever know. He loves the turf. He just happened to win the off the, you know, off the turf race. We can't wait to get him back on the turf. The horse shows up on the turf in a grade one. And you remember that you have that recall that, 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 that moment happened. And that's great handicapping information as well. I mean, uh, Bobby's kitten. I fell in love with Bobby's kitten hearing Chad talk about Bobby's kitten on, on Steve Vick. That's amazing. And, uh, and, and really kind of what he thought was going to what, what you know what he thought would happen with Bobby's kitten you know we're going to we're going to try him in the woodbine mile and then we're going to cut him back if that doesn't work out down the hill and that right. was one of my greatest greatest horse playing uh, accomplishments so um, i think the horse player too oh man what you talk about race. you talk about having that experience of, of oh. having your friends with you <laughs> i know exactly what you're talking about yeah that you was know, that's where well, it's funny had, you say that, JK. One more thing, because you're talking about handicapping. I, I'm a, I, I'm, I consider myself a good handicapper, terrible player. So I don't know if you know people like that, but that's me. Um, I can tell you who's going to win the race, but I, and then I'll bet and I'll lose somehow. So, um, but the, it's really interesting if you go in and and actually say to yourself for each horse really quickly. You don't. It won't take a lot of time. Like, why are they running here? It's really Jeez. interesting. Because you'll, yeah, you'll, you'll you say, wait a second. Okay, they dropped from here. They paid 100 for this horse. They're running for 40. What are they trying to do? You know, if you just do a little ownership analysis of the horse, it may help you. It may help the people out there. It's, a, it's kind of a cool, cool thing to think about. 100%. I start at the bottom of the past performances and I tell a story on the way up doing exactly what you're saying. And you'll find horses in spots they shouldn't be. 
and you'll find horses in spots where you know they're just taking a chance or, you know, um, and especially like, you know, in California where it's, you know, that little breaks when those little breaks when they're at low sal and they're running on the dirt and then they come back and now they're on the turf and, um, you know, they they can only go five furlongs down at Del Mar sprinting on the grass. So, you know, it's either that or a mile, but really, you know, the five too short. Right. It's a different race. Yeah. So it's a, it's a good perspective for, for horse players as well, but. Well, um, it's going to be a lot of fun. I can tell you that we're really excited. Michelle and I are excited and we really appreciate you guys giving, giving us a shot. And I think the rebrand is going to be really cool. And, and, uh, I've enjoyed this. When do we, I mean, I can't wait to have you on our show. Yeah, I'm ready whenever. And and, and I can't, I can't wait. I'm, I'm telling you right now, episode one that you guys do, well, it won't be episode one. It'll be like episode. Yeah. Whatever. We'll call it episode yeah. one. I cannot wait. Cause only, there's only one person that can tell the story. I cannot wait for Michelle to tell the story about the logo design. I'll leave no, that to that's, her. That's going to be good. We're going to leave it there. We'll leave te- that, we'll, we'll very te- hard for me to it. type. To the, yes, it, it was, was very, very hard good. for me to type to the, the designer, by the way. <laughs> that was awesome. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Really, and I, I, I appreciate it. And I know we're, we're looking forward to it. And I know our listeners are as well. And, and so uh, we'll be looking for that first episode sooner than later. Absolutely. We'll, we'll, as soon as we're ready to go, we're, we're Michelle and I are ready. We're, we're, it should be maybe next week, maybe the week after, but we're ready to go. All right. Well, look, we're really excited to have Billy and Michelle uh, on the network with their new show, well, not their new show, but kind of their uh, rebranded show. Not really. They just really got a new name and a new logo. Um, the owner's box, which will be, I'm assuming they'll have a show up pretty soon. If it's not this week, I'd imagine it will be the week after that. We were waiting. I think Billy's been ready. Billy and Michelle have been ready to rock and roll. We were waiting to get this, uh, this logo done. And when you see all the details of the, <laughs> of the logo, I think you'll understand. Uh, the flip-flops, that was, a, that was a, uh, an 11th hour addition. And, and we're so glad that we got that done. Uh, I want to thank Billy for taking the time and, and sharing some of his experiences. And, man, how cool would it have been to be uh, on the set for Wayne's World, uh, one of my favorite movies uh, ever. So uh, pretty cool experience. And how cool would it have been to uh, to uh, been in the ownership group of Singletary and, and a handful of others that they've had. So uh, a lot of fun. If you have any questions, Billy lets you know. You can check out Little Red Feather, um, a great partnership opportunity if you want to get involved in the experience. Um well, I'm going to run out of here because, believe it or not, I took a couple weeks off at JK Plus One, but you're going to get this Billy episode today. And then in a couple of days, uh, I got another little episode coming up leading up to Pegasus. I won't spoil it yet, but I'm excited about it. I, I want to thank PTF. I want to thank Drew. If you have any questions uh, about working with us in the media, holler at Drew. He'll, uh, he'll sort you out. Um, I want to thank, who else here? Uh, Matty Ice, Matt Bernier Show. Uh, Spencer uh, with Red Board Rewind, Naomi, Talk Racing to Me, Nick Luck, Daily Podcast, and uh, Billy and Michelle, the owner's box. And then also Acacia Cordy, who who you've, I think, probably seen has taken over the In the Ring Pedigree podcast. And look, I do this at the end of all the shows, but we're getting to a point now where I'm going to start forgetting everyone. So if I forgot someone uh, on my rundown just now, Sorry, I'm not sorry. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you guys later this week. I need to know everything. Who and the what and the where I need everything. Trust me, I hear what you're saying, but I like it's new what you're telling me. I'm curious, George. I hop in the Porsche. five and a horse. I'm ready for war. I'm coming for throws to turn to a ghost. I need to know everything. Now you'd be surprised at the info you get is by letting them talk, so I'm letting them talk. Gotta keep